morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Happy Hanukkah to our Jewish friends around the world. Hanukkah is an eight-day and eight-night Jewish festival. This year is celebrated from December 10th to December 18th. It commemorates the rededication of the Second Temple in Jerusalem at a time of the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire. He, it is known as the Festival of Lights, and during the festival, our Jew, Jewish friends light a menorah each night. And here's what a menorah looks like. It has nine candles in it, one in the center, and then eight, four on each side of the center candle. And at the center, the candle is called the Attendant Light. And it's used to light the other candles. Well, our God is full of promises, and many of them are directed toward the Jewish people. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, the Lord makes his promise, this promise to the Jewish race. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, and with the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. Jeremiah 31, 32. And like the covenant which I made with their forefathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, and that was the Mosaic Law Covenant, that covenant of mine that they broke, even though I was husbanding them, declares the Lord. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, on their hearts, I will write the law, not on tablets of stone this time. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah. What will change for the Jewish race in the New Covenant is the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, who influences the heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27 say this, Moreover, I, the Lord, will give you, reference to the Jewish race, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God will give the Jewish race the same new creation that has given to us, that he has given to us, the Gentiles. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he's 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead, he is also 100% human, like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. And at Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, who God made the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. In John chapter 16, verse 11, the Lord says, The ruler of this world, Satan, 
has been judged. Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious guys, you hypocrites. You travel around on sea and land to make one convert to your religion, and when he has become converted, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Religion deceives many into thinking they are saved when they might not be, and it works really well. Billions of people are deceived. Well, the Word of God is the truth and informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. As believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. The Lord's work at the cross defeated Satan. Today's lesson is the Lord's Supper celebration. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. At the cross... The Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. Well, there's nothing worse than breaking the law. It's an especially sick feeling when we break the law and we know we're guilty and we get caught. And it's especially horrible when we break God's law, which is the thing called sin. When we break the law, there are consequences. At physical birth, we were placed in union with Adam. We received his sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and spiritual death entered the world through sin, and so spiritual death spread to all men, because all men were considered by God to have sinned when Adam sinned. We are guilty, and there are consequences for sin. And in addition to having Adam's sin, we sin personally ourselves. And the moment we sin personally ourselves, we break the law. Yet Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 is one of the many verses in the Bible that give us hope. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ. Us is believers in Christ, and he has blessed us beyond measure. In today's lesson, as we do every month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. God, the Holy Spirit, takes us back to a subject we open the year with during the Lord's Supper, redemption. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ took care of our sin problem by giving us a redemption that covers our past, our present, and our future. Well, let's hear some music. Psalm 66, verse 3, describes God's character. It says, Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will come cringing before you. That's exactly what's going to happen in the future. Well, here's Rich Mullen putting it in song. He says, Our God is an awesome God.
angels putting on the ritz. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. And the Lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. It wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close, and so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. And created the light. Our God is an awesome God. Judgment and wrath He poured out on Sodom. And mercy and grace He gave us at the cross. I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. Our God. Grateful Heavenly Father for the privilege of studying the absolute truth, the Word of God. We praise you today, God the Father, for your amazing will and your glorious grace, which you lavished on us through the person and work of your beloved one, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He went to a cross to demonstrate his unconditional love for us as a reflection of your unconditional love for us. To prove the Lord's passion for us, to show the Lord's amazing grace when we were sinners, as unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, while we were his enemies, Christ was willing to die in our place voluntarily so that we could live the resurrection life. Show us, Father, how to receive your gifts. Show us how to take advantage of your grace. Show us how to be reflections of your light in a lost and dying world. Show us, through the word of God, the significance of your gifts to us, and how to awaken inside of us a knowledge of the depths of your unconditional love for us. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. 
Amen. The Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. Uh, redemption. Well, it's really been fun to continue the study of redemption, and I think it's pretty ironic that God would start the year with teaching us about the purchase, how he purchased us from slavery, and that he would want to end the year the same way, reminding us that he purchased us from slavery. Maybe, just maybe, he's omniscient. Maybe he knows all that's knowable. And maybe last January he knew exactly what our year was going to be like. And now that our year has unfolded, maybe he knows exactly what the message is we need to hear to remind us who he is. Yes, that's my suspicion. My suspicion is he's using this lesson to remind us who he is. So welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, the most intimate expression of our deep, intimate, and personal loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In this celebration, the Lord reminds us of the unity all believers in Christ possess by sharing his body and his blood with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says on behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. And every month we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember. And this is the time that Christians look back. And as a matter of fact, this is the only time that God recommends that we look back. Generally speaking, the Christian way of living is Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the mark for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But for the Lord's Supper, we look back to the cross and what a monumental event the cross was. What a monumental set of things that were done there on our behalf. What a tremendous amount of gifts that we got as a result of what Christ did at the cross. So we remember that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are dependent on him for our so great salvation. It's really easy to start thinking that we need people, that we're dependent on people, that we're dependent on people's opinions. We're really not. We remember that we believers in Christ are in union with Christ and we can't get out of our union with him. So we're married to him. We have God indwelling us. All three members of the Trinity are indwelling us. And we forget that. And when we forget that, we forget that we have power. We remember that the Lord loves us unconditionally. He thinks we hung the moon, even though he hung the moon. And so isn't that amazing that somebody, like what is, what is the, the words of the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me? that we think of ourselves as wretches, yet the Lord does not. We think less highly of ourselves than the Lord thinks of us because he thinks really highly of us with his unconditional love toward us. We remember that we are forgiven for every sin we commit, past, present, and future. And so we don't ever have to ask God for forgiveness because we are forgiven in the past, and the result is that we stand forgiven forever. 
And we don't want to believe that. We believe that God is disappointed with us and that we have to beg God for his forgiveness on a regular basis. But we do not have to beg him for something that we already have. And we remember that we have the Lord's grace to help in times of need, especially when we make mistakes. One of the things that I got out of studying uh, this redemption and going back to it, and you would think, you know, as a pastor, I've studied redemption a lot of times in my life, and you would think that I wouldn't want to go back to it because I would want to go on to something new. But when you stop to study redemption again and again and again, every time you learn something new, and one of the things I learned this time from studying redemption is that every single word in the Bible, even the words and and the, are personal attacks against Satan and his lies. Every single word in verses means something and means something deeply. And if you don't believe me, just take a verse and look at the verse and just take each word of the verse and then imagine what it might mean. Now, you don't know what it necessarily means unless you've been taught it. But I can look at a verse and I can see all of the things that are going on in that verse that are absolutely amazing. And I have to, I have to thank my study of systematic theology for that. I have to, to thank it, thank God that he put me in that system that would allow me to have to scrutinize Scripture in such a way that I could really, really examine what it is that God is giving us through Scripture. And that's what happens as you grow and mature in your study of the Word. Things mean more and more and more deep things to you, and you just get it, that there is this fantastic thing going on every time you hear a Bible verse. Now, the Lord's Supper celebration is often called Communion. And it's our chance to commune with the Lord. It is a sacred celebration. So it's not something that we take for granted. It's not something we do on the fly. It's not something that we get familiar with. It's a time to have bread and wine in front of us. And as we enjoy the elements, we remember our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, both for our physical sustenance and for our spiritual sustenance. And during the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back for a few moments. We look back to the cross to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. We were born condemned. We were born headed for the lake of fire. And yet he rescued us from that fate. And because of that, we are no longer the targets of the wrath of God. We look back to the cross to remember the sacrifice of his shedding blood to cover our sins. Think about it. Would you ever shed blood to cover someone else? Would you ever die to cover someone else? I think of Prince's song, I Would Die For You. And he's talking about the Messiah. You know, a lot of people think that that's a romantic song, that he's talking about some woman that he was in love with. But if you listen to the words, he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope he's in heaven today. We look back to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life he orchestrated, bringing us into his kingdom of light. 
And during the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look forward as well, not just back, but forward, in anticipation that he is coming again. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? And this month, we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. You know, one of the things that's kind of funny being a pastor is you get a, a good sense for the mood of the congregation. A lot of people up in here yawning today and they're tired, the countenance is dragging and all that. And I'm thinking it must be December. This last week I lost my mind. I, I lost it mentally in a couple of situations in business. Just lost it. And it's just funny because that always seems to happen to me in December. You know, it's the end of the year. Usually when I get sick, I get sick in December. And I think there's something in us that just lets our guard down at this time of the year. And I'll tell you that this is not a time to let your guard down. This is a time to keep your guard up and make sure you're getting enough sleep. Make sure you're getting enough rest. Make sure you're taking your medication. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. Because it's always good to take care of yourself because a tired person is a lousy person. Tired executives are lousy executives. Take care of yourself. Get some sleep. Relax. Put the phone down. And just have some time where you just relax. You don't have to be putting yourself in a position where something's bleeding at you all the time and demanding your attention all the time because that gets you tired. It wears you out, honestly. So anyway, this month we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. Well, Zachary Ian Clark was born just after midnight on September 15, 1988. His mom was about to go for a cesarean, and a, the shift changed, and a nurse said, let's just give it one more try, and moved Laura's legs in such a way that Zachary came poking his big head out, and we didn't have to cut him out of there. We could just have him come on out on his own. And he looked to the left, and he looked to the right, and he balled up his little cute lips, and let out the most beautiful cry, and I was so happy. And I uh, didn't know what color he was because he was kind of blue when he came out. And I was thinking, all right, is this a brother or is this a white boy? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember the day like it was yesterday, and I have a vivid picture of that moment in my mind. And I decided early in my life that I wanted children, and I began preparing for them at age 19, by working at a Jewish day camp in Chicago, Illinois, the Bernard Horwich Jewish Community Center on the north side of Chicago. And for two summers, I tested my parenting theories on real children. So I was ready for the day when my firstborn son would enter the world. It had been a long and trying day, so shortly after he was born, I headed home alone, making the one-hour drive from Evanston, Illinois, to Westmont, Illinois. I needed some sleep. And when I woke up, I remember thanking God for the gracious gift of a son. And I assured him that I would be the perfect parent. That didn't really work out. But, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I sure did tell him a lie. I lied to him on that day. But I promised to care for the gift he had given me and to put all of myself, heart, mind, soul, and spirit, into raising little Zach. 
Thoughts of the magnitude of this responsibility began to flood my soul. How would I pay for college? How would I feed him? How would I educate him? How would I diaper him? And by the way, how would I keep him from peeing on me? Because, you know, kids always do that. Neither one of my kids was successful. All they tried a bunch of times, but I was too smart for that. How would I teach him about the world? What would I warn him about? All these thoughts began to overwhelm my senses, and I needed the Word of God to calm my soul. God the Holy Spirit led me to a passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, which says this, And you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. And this verse sent me into a panic. Zachary was the most beautiful baby I had ever laid eyes on, and he still is to this day. He was gorgeous. He had the most precious, kissable lips. He had a calm about him that was adorable to watch. He was warm and cuddly to hold, yet he was spiritually dead. Panic is not descriptive enough. A terror gripped my soul. How would I ensure that he becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ at the soonest possible moment so that his fate would not be an eternity in the lake of fire. The thought that he would reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ made me so sick at my stomach, I threw up. How could I protect him from God's wrath? But then I stopped and I wondered why God the Holy Spirit had me start at Ephesians chapter 2. So I went back to read chapter 1, and a relief enveloped my soul as I read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. And here's what that says. In Christ, we believers in Christ have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, 8. Which God the Father, which grace, God the Father lavished on us. Lavished, I don't know whether you know what lavishing is, but it's sort of like chicken when you pour gravy all over it. You know, smothered chicken, that's what it is. He just lavished his grace all over us. And all wisdom and insight, Ephesians 1.9, God the Father made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which the Father set forth in Christ. Ephesians 1.10, regarding God the Father's plan for the fullness of times, to bring all things together in Christ, to bring all things together under his leadership, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Well, I breathed a sigh of relief. Spiritual life was as close as believing in Christ, and Zachary would be inundated with information that made his acceptance of a relationship with Christ as natural as breathing. God had a plan for my spiritually dead son, and I was going to make sure Zach knew how special the plan is. He would be redeemed. He would be purchased from slavery to sin. And like Zachary, you believers in Christ are so special to God that in eternity past, he provided you with a series of gifts that you hardly think about and that you may not even know about. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 say this, For those whom God the Father foreknew, 
God the Father knew about you. He knew you personally by name a billion years ago. And there has never been a time when he didn't have your name personally in mind, and there never will be. And he knew exactly the time that he would bring you into this world and the exact day that he would take you out. He uh, absolutely knows who the parents were that he was going to give you to. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you will ever know yourself. And that's all of that idea that I just talked about is encapsulated encapsulated in the word foreknew, for whom God the Father foreknew. He also predestined, predestined in planning for you. He put every resource aside that you would need and paid for the privilege of everything that you would ever require. He predestined us to become conformed to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps on conforming you and he is making you into the exact image of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that the Lord would be the firstborn among many brethren. There will be many like this, you included. Romans 8.30 And those whom God the Father predestined, he also called. That's the doctrine of election. First, He put aside everything you would need for your so great salvation. He paid for everything, and then he called you to the privilege of that salvation, and he called you knowing that you would come. And he had already set aside everything before he even called you to it. It was just like what happened with me. I had been preparing for Zachary's arrival for 14 years. I had been learning everything I could learn about fathering for 14 years before he even got here. So he was predestined to get everything that he would need to grow up and to become a man. So those whom God the Father predestined, he also called. And those whom God the Father called, he also justified. What does it mean to be justified? When you see that word, what should you know? about what God the Father did for you. You should know that right today, God the Father is walking through the halls of heaven announcing your name to everybody who's in heaven as a believer in Christ who will be coming there one day. And all of your relatives who have gone before you, all of your friends who have gone before you are excited every day knowing that one day you'll be coming there. And what is that? It's justified. You are legally declared righteous, even though you aren't righteous. You were legally declared righteous at the moment of salvation, and that righteousness is your admission ticket to heaven. And those whom God the Father justified, he also glorified. In the future, you will be glorified. You will have every defect of character, every defect of body mind and spirit removed from you so that you are perfect. Uh, you, although we are perfect in position, we will be perfect totally at a future time, and that is called glorified. Now, one of the many other gifts that God has given you is the gift of redemption. Redemption is a life-giving word. It is a life-giving idea. Think of yourself as a slave. Think of yourself as, as having been purchased by someone. Think of that someone as being the worst person you could have possibly been purchased by. Satan, that was our situation at physical birth. 
we were in Satan's kingdom and we were slaves to Satan's kingdom and the policy of Satan's kingdom, which is sin. And so what happened? Biblical study taught me that God the Father is kind and it was perfect just-in-time knowledge for a first-time father. God the Father's unconditional love motivated him to have mercy on us. And so he sent his son to redeem us. And what does it mean to redeem us? To purchase us from slavery. To purchase us out of Satan's kingdom if we wanted to come. And those of us who decided to be believers in Christ want to come. So when you think of, your, of God's plan for your life as morality, when you think of God's plan for your life as holding the high ground, if you are living God's life for you, God's plan for you as the right-wrong life, if you're living it as the I agree, I disagree life, that's legalism. You are trying to maintain a law that you could never keep because you are a lawbreaker when you sin. And when you sin once, you've broken the whole law. So when you think God's plan for your life is the opposite of that, when you think of God's plan for your life as celebrate good times, come on, that God paid for your sins so that you could just live it up and do whatever you want to do, that's lasciviousness. Those are the two offers of Satan and the kingdom of death and darkness. You can be legalistic or you can be lascivious. You can be an uptight jerk who is looking down the nose at other people with your morality. Or you can be somebody who is out for fun and footloose and fancy free. That's what Satan has to offer you. But neither of these lifestyles is the Christian way of living. The Christian way of living is a lifestyle of unconditional love and forgiveness and grace. And I was thinking about the forgiveness part this week. There are a lot of people who walk around in this life holding grudges against people from the past. And what they're doing is giving those people power. Because what they're expecting is that those people somehow care about apologizing. Those people somehow care about making a reparation for the damage they did. And of course, they don't. They don't care about making a reparation for the damage they did. But think about what forgiveness is. What forgiveness is, is you assuming something that you have control over and using your power to release them into the wild. And when you forgive somebody, you release them into the wild. They no longer have a condo in your head where they're moving around furniture in your head and laying up in your brain, occupying a bunch of space and crowding out anybody else that could potentially come into that space. Amen? Now, am I only talking about myself here? Or am I talking about some other people here in the room? As a matter of fact, I might say, say amen if I'm talking about everybody in the room. Amen. Right? That's what we do. We give our power to people who don't like us, and then we sit there like they're going to somehow come and give us our power back. They don't do it. They never will do it. 
but they don't have power over us anyway. We have power over us, and we give it away to people who don't care to care for it very well. And I, for one, am done with that life. Spent way too much time there. So this lifestyle that we've been invited to, called the Christian way of living, is a lifestyle of unconditional love. You don't, you don't ask anything of anybody else. You don't get disappointed by anybody else. A life of forgiveness. When they make a mistake, you forget it. And a life of grace. When they, when, when they make mistakes, you give them another chance. And by God, we don't want, I don't want to do any of that, do you? <laughs> Danged Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us do it. With our, well, he asked for our permission. He just keeps encouraging us to do that. It depends on what kind of mood you're in. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, because of God's grace, see all those things, unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace, those are the things that God gives to us. And because of those things, we are redeemed. Well, what is redemption? Redemption is to be released by payment. You're in the slave market. And somebody gets you released from the slave market by a payment. It means to be freed by ransoms. You were kidnapped and somebody paid the ransom. Freedom from whatever is holding you captive. And it takes a payment to do it. That's what redemption is. Well, what did we need redemption from? Redemption is a release from what? Well, first of all, redemption is a release from our past from our trespasses, from our sins, from things from which we are absolutely guilty. See, that's the one thing. You sin, you're not going to be, be able to sit in front of God and say, hey, I didn't sin. I was perfect like Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to say that. Now, it's lucky for you, when you as a believer in Christ go to the judgment seat of Christ, God's never going to bring up your sins. You know Why? Because they were paid for. It's the law of double jeopardy. You can't be tried for the same crime twice. He's not going to bring up your sins. When I was a Roman Catholic, that's the way, that was my view of God. He was writing down all my sins in a record, holding them in a computer, and then when I was in front of him on the judgment day, making an account of myself, he was going to bring them all up and say, what's up with that? He isn't going to do that once. Amen? Amen. Not once. For believers or unbelievers. Not once. Because those things are paid for. It's all taken care of. You don't keep reminding people about the check if the check's already paid for. What do we need redemption from? What do we need a, a release from? Redemption is a release from our present. From a futile and sinful lifestyle. Why do we, this very day, as Christians, continue to sin? And why do we have a very futile and sinful lifestyle? Because we don't genuinely believe what God is telling us is going to work. We want to learn through experience. We have a better idea. At least we think so. We don't have a better idea. Redemption is a release for our future. 
because there will be a day when there will be the removal of everything defective in us. Well, when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll see what this threefold redemption means to us. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. I'm trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. The Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. Well, our God is always encouraging generosity. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says this The generous person will be prosperous, and he who waters himself will be watered. No, that's not right. It's he who waters will himself be watered. <laughs> so be generous so that during the season of receiving, those you help with your contributions may receive the gospel message implanted and the word of God inspired to give them the strength to put one foot in front of the other during these times of spiritual turmoil. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brown Ministries. And I'm also blessed to be an ambassador for Christ. But here at Brown Ministries, it's a place where real people come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And lately, I've been thinking a lot about being an ambassador to Christ because my life as a Christian is basically a, a, basically a road sign for everybody else. So they see me as a Christian. What do I do? How do I act during these times? And I think a lot of people are pretty angry right now with the election and with how polarized we are from economical levels to racial levels to old and young and who we are. And there's a lot of divisiveness. And we know this is the world we always live in because it's Satan's world. And so it's really easy to kind of, I don't know, at this point I have a lot of friends that are angry about the election. And they're Christians and they want to go revolt. They want to act out, and they want to quit their jobs, and they want to fight. And really, is that what Christians are here to do? And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking back at history, and I was seeing at some of these people, this guy named John Paul Jones. He was an American patriot that fought during the Revolutionary War. And he was, he was one of those guys that was, wasn't going to sit back and take it. So he took a couple ships, and they went over to British waters and were fighting. And he's the guy that mentioned the line that when they were asking him, during the fight, they were, he was basically outnumbered and outmanned in a really bad ship. And was, his ship was leaking water and was tied up with another ship. And they asked him, are you ready to quit? And he said, no, I've just begun to fight. And that, that battle started when he, was, he, had a, he had, I think he had a French flag, and he pulled it down and put up the American flag. And to his dying word, to his dying breath, he wasn't going to misrepresent his country. He wasn't ready to give up. He wasn't ready to to not be a representative of his country. And he ended up winning that battle. And there was another man named Nathan Hale, who was an American patriot during the Revolutionary War. And he volunteered to be a spy and spy on the British. But since he was so young, he was quickly caught. And he was offered, do you, you, know, do you renounce your citizenship here? And he said, no. And so they were going to execute him. And his final words, they said, do you have any final words? And he said, no, I just wish I had one more life to give for this country. He wasn't, again, he wasn't going to misrepresent who he was. He wasn't going to say, no, I'm not American. And it's on a, on a slightly more lighthearted level, it's like my son, William. He's Christian, and he knows who Santa really is or who Santa isn't. And so it's really easy for him to ruin other kids' Christmases. 
go up and say, hey, I know who Santa is. But that would, would God's grace and mercy want him to do that? That's not his choice to make for those families, to ruin it for another kid. And then it looks bad on me. Oh, you're a Christian parent, and you let your Christian kid go around and you know, smash all the dreams of these other kids. Well, that's not who we are. We're representatives of, representatives of Christ and his mercy and his love. And we see in the Bible, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their, regard their owners as masters. Their, their, I'm sorry, let me start over. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. So you think about it, it's real easy to get angry and get upset and lose your colors or give up or want to quit and not, not really be a representative of Christ, a representative of Christ. But so if we are representatives of Christ and we come out here and we're rebellious and we're disrespectful of our bosses or disrespectful of the government, then people are going to think, is the gospel something that drives people to be disrespectful? Is the gospel something is not what it, Christians are saying it is? It's not about unconditional love. It's not about forgiveness. It's not about faith. So it's real easy to, in this time to, I think, get caught up in Satan's world, get caught up in the divisiveness, and forget that we are patriots, forget that we are Christians, and forget that we are all the human race in this country. Even if people voted against Trump or voted for Trump, we can't just put them, polarize them and say they're in a certain bracket and hate them for the rest of our lives. We're all Americans. We have to represent that. And as Christians, we need to represent the, un, the forgiveness and unconditional love of Christ. And so that's why we're here today. We do that to give of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we can see people in our history, like John Paul Jones, who gave his time, talent, and treasure. He didn't sit around and wait for the British to come here. He took the fight to them. And Nathan Hale, he was a young man. I think he was only 19 years old when he volunteered to fight for this country. He was, took, gave of his time, his talent, and his treasure. He was willing to die for this country. And my son, I don't know if he's willing to die for the country or if he's at that stage yet, but I know he's, he's very stubborn. <laughs> and I know he probably will be. So I just think it's, it's really easy as Christians in this world to forget who we are and to treat people poorly. And that represents, that gives a rep, that represents our view of Christ if we treat, treat people poorly. He wouldn't do that. We know that. And so that's why we always give the opportunity here to give of your, your time, your talent, and your treasure because this is worship. This is a time to worship. It's not a tax. This is something you give because you want to give. And so we thank everybody that comes because they, they, they get here because they want to, not because they have to. And so thank you very much for always giving to Broad Ministries and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ.
somebody's got a stomach ache. The Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption. Thanks, Deacon Denny, for the history lesson. And, you know, I was thinking this week, too, December 7th was that day that will live in infamy. It was the 79th anniversary of Pearl Harbor being attacked. And so, you know, you gave us a great history lesson and a great integrity lesson. And I think, uh, you know, I have to... Uh, use those words to control my own conduct because the last couple of weeks I've been real out of sorts and I haven't been living the unconditional love lifestyle too well so I'm going to definitely apply what you say to myself so <laughs> so the Lord's Supper celebration at the cross the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a threefold redemption now what is redemption to be redeemed means to be released by payment you're in prison, you're in slavery, owned by someone, and somebody pays to get you out. It means to be freed by someone paying a ransom. It means freedom for, from whatever is holding you captive, and it takes a payment to do it. And so at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ freed us by paying a ransom with his blood for our past, the trespasses. Well, you've heard that word from the Bible a lot of times, trespasses. What is a trespass? And I, I never really heard, I always connected trespasses to sin, which is the way you should do it. But I never really thought about trespassing the other way that you look at it, which is you see signs, no trespassing. So what is the communication that's being made when somebody says, hey, no trespassing? Well, trespass is an unlawful act that causes injury, sometimes injury to a relationship. But what it is is a wrongful entry into the property of another. Well, God the Father would be unrighteous if he let us break the law without a just handling of the consequences of our crime. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 say this, When you were dead in your transgressions, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God the Father made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of our transgressions. Because of what Christ did, God was able to handle our transgressions in a just way because somebody paid for them. Because somebody has to pay for our transgressions. When we trespass, we break the law. When we break the law, there has to be a payment. And fortunately for us, Christ is the one who made that payment. That trespass put us into slavery to sin, and he freed us by paying a ransom with his blood. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Through Christ's work at the cross, having canceled out the record of debt consisting of legal demands against us, when you sin and when you are caught, there is an indictment, which is a series of legal demands against you. And the Lord, by what he did at the cross, canceled out your indictment because he volunteered to serve the sentence for you. That's an amazing thing. 
And the record of debt consisting of legal demands against us was hostile to us. Why was it hostile to us? Because it made us the target of God the Father's wrath, because that's what's true for unbelievers. Unbelievers are at the, at the point of the spear concerning God the Father's wrath because they say that they are not going to take the payment for sin that was made by Christ. They want to do it themselves. They want to pay for their own sin. And so they are going to be at the wrong end of God the Father's wrath. And what Christ did, for those of us who believe, is he set aside that record of debt, having nailed it to the cross. At the cross, the Lord freed us by paying a ransom with his blood for our present. So he forgave us our trespasses, which is the past. He also paid a ransom with his blood for our present which is our futile, sinful lifestyle, because as believers in Christ, we continue to sin. Here's what Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 26 say. All have sinned in the past when Adam sinned, and all keep on sinning, and all keep on falling short of the glory of God. The glory of God is perfection. And all of us keep on sinning, and we keep on falling short of that perfection. Romans 3.24, yet all who believe in Christ keep on being justified by God the Father as a grace gift free of charge through the redemption, which is a result of being in union with Christ. So I told you already what justified means. What does it mean? It means that you have been at the moment of salvation through the baptism of the Spirit legally declared as absolutely righteous, which means you were handed an admission ticket to heaven. Your admission ticket to heaven is the righteousness from God that he gives to you at the moment of salvation, and you are justified, which means you are legally righteous, and God the Father goes through the halls of heaven every day and announces your legal righteousness. And that is redemption, because you were purchased by Christ's blood and freed from slavery to the sovereignty of sin. Romans 3.25, Jesus, whom God the Father displayed publicly as a propitiation. He let Jesus Christ be hung from a cross publicly as a propitiation. Through a sacrifice of his blood, blood covers sin for the benefit of all who have faith. And this was to demonstrate God the Father's righteousness because in the forbearance of God the Father, he passed over the sins previously committed. Why was he able to, in justice, pass over your sins that were previously committed? Why was he able to give you a pass? Because those sins were paid for by Christ. Because sin has to be paid for by someone. And Christ paid for your sins on your behalf. He should not have gone to the cross. You should have gone to the cross. You should have been crucified for your very own sins. But because he went for you, he was your substitute. Romans 3.26 For the demonstration, I say, of God the Father's righteousness at the present time, so that God the Father would be seen as just and as the justifier 
of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. When you place your confidence in Jesus Christ to pay for your sins and to give you a so great salvation, God the Father acknowledges what Christ did and he is then just in passing over the sins that you committed. So your faith in Christ, this non-meritorious, one-moment-in-time thing that you do by believing in Christ, keys a whole series of events, all of them in your favor and all of them done on your behalf by Christ at the cross. Now you heard a word in the previous verse. In Romans verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 25, you heard this word, propitiation. And you hear me say that word on a regular basis, propitiation. What is propitiation? It is a payment to God the Father. He's the one who needs to be propitiated. It's a payment to God the Father to satisfy His need for the just handling of the sin problem and to remove those who sin from being targets of God the Father's wrath. He took you, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and shedding his blood, took you out of God the Father's crosshairs. God the Father, from your birth, has crosshairs on you, and when you are no longer alive, the, cross, the, the shot is going to be fired, and the shot is his wrath, for all eternity, if you reject a relationship with Christ, can you imagine a father's terror in thinking that his son, his newborn son, was in the crosshairs of God the Father's wrath? That is absolutely frightening. Propitiation is a payment to God the Father to satisfy his need for the just handling of the sin problem and to remove those who sin from being targets of the Father's wrath through the only perfectly satisfactory payment acceptable to God the Father for sin, and that is Christ's work at the cross, the shedding of his blood as the payment for sin. That's what propitiation is. And propitiation is amazing. It's a gift you have. And it just demonstrates that God is on your side. God the Father loved us so much. He loved us unconditionally. And he loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ as a payment for sin that would satisfy himself. See, that's something that I'm not willing to do as a human being. I am not willing to do that. If you make me mad and then you ask me, what do I have to do to make it up to you? I'm not telling you. I'm not. Why should I tell you that? Because you have no, you can tick somebody off and you have no skills. You haven't spent any time to develop the skills of diffusing. Why should I tell you how to diffuse me? I'm not telling you how to diffuse me. That is not what God did. And there's a difference between God and me. My way of doing things it doesn't work all that well. It's not all that unconditional. It's not all that forgiving. And it's not all that graceful. Amen? But the way God the Father sent it is you offended him by sinning. He had to deal with it in his justice. But he sent the solution. And the solution was his son to die. Can you even grasp that? Can you even grasp 
the magnificence of that. That's a hard thing to get your head around. God the Father loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ as a payment for sin that would satisfy himself. What an incredible gift. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says this, For what the Mosaic law could not do, as weak and as powerless as it was through the flesh, God the Father did. What's that? Sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the likeness, because his flesh was not sinful. And as an offering for sin. And God the Father condemned sin in Christ's flesh. He imputed all of the sins of all mankind to Christ's flesh on the cross in three short hours so that all payment could be made for all sin and that we would be reconciled to God the Father through the sacrifice of Christ. That's what we see when we look back at the cross. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ freed us from pay- by paying a ransom with his blood for our future. And in the future, the third part of our redemption is the removal of all of our defects. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 says this, For this perishable, our human, our human body, must put on the imperishable, our resurrection body. And this mortal, our human life, must put on immor- immortality, eternal life, the resurrection life. That's what's coming up for believers in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Now, but now, I love those words in the Bible because what came before it is, you're screwed. You remember Ephesians 2, 1 started out, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and it goes on for 12 verses to tell us why that's not good. And then verse 13, the whole table is turned, but now... Because you're in union with Christ Jesus, you believers in Christ, who formerly were far off in the slave market of sin, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were on the wrong side of a barrier, separated from God, unable, helpless, hopeless to do anything to get yourself across the barrier. But Jesus Christ, hanging from a cross and shedding blood, tore down the barrier. It broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. It canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against you and brought you near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Why did God the Father do that? Because we believers in Christ are God the Father's workmanship. We are works of art created to be in union with Christ Jesus for divine good works which God the Father prepared which good works God the Father prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In Christ, no finer words in Greek, in Christo Jesu, in Christ, in union with Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed the gospel, you were seated, sealed, in union with him by the agency of the Holy Spirit of promise. As if it weren't enough that Christ died for you at the cross. As if it weren't enough that he offered you a so great salvation. 
as if it weren't enough that Jesus Christ sent his son to die for you and to take your place so you would not have to pay for your own sins. As if all that wasn't enough, God the Holy Spirit pulled out a pen and put his signature on your salvation, guaranteeing that you can never lose your salvation. And that is called the sealing ministry of God the Holy Spirit. And I told you about this before. You remember that when people would send love letters to other people, they would use sealing wax, right? They'd drip some wax on the envelope, and then they put a little stamp in there with their initials on it. So the person who received it would know that nobody had opened it. The Holy Spirit puts a seal on you, and Satan can't come and open you and steal you away. Because you're sealed until the day of redemption. And the day of redemption... Who comes to redeem you? Christ. That's a future state. That's what we're talking about here. The future time when Christ comes to redeem you. He comes to open up your envelope and pull you out. And he's going to remove every defect from you. He's going to give you a resurrection body that is an exact duplicate of his resurrection body. What an amazing day that will be. And June is so happy because she's looking forward to the day when she gets a body that will not fall down. Amen? (laughs) Amen. I feel you, sister. I feel you. So what is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14? Let's go back to 13. The Holy Spirit of promise, 14, who is given to us by God the Father as a pledge of our inheritance. We are heirs. We are adopted adult, adult children with a view to the redemption of God the Father's own possession, that's you, to the praise of His glory. God the Father wants you redeemed, and He wants you to have His own righteousness as your admission ticket to heaven, and He does it for the praise of His glory, that we would look at Him and say, He is just and the justifier of us. Amen? All right, so what is redemption? Redemption means to be released by payment, to be freed by ransom, freedom from whatever is holding us captive, and it takes a payment to do it. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made the payment. Thanks be to our amazing Lord for facilitating the release of us captives through his person and work on the cross. We are redeemed. Thanks be to God for redeeming little Zachary from a grateful father. Well, let's enjoy the Lord's Supper elements. Obeying the Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person, the one and only sovereign God of the universe. We drink wine to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this, When the hour had come, his crucifixion was set for the next day. Jesus reclined at the table, and the apostles reclined with him. And if you can see this visually, that's what reclining at a table looks like. There's a low table and people are laying around and leaning on the table. And sometimes they're laying around and leaning on each other. And that is still done today in Middle Eastern cultures. 
And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 23. I didn't want those verses up. Starting at Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. And the same way Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Luke twenty-two, twenty-two. For indeed, I'm sorry, Luke twenty-two twenty-one. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. Luke twenty-two twenty-two. For indeed, the Son of Man is going back to the Father, as it as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Luke twenty-two twenty-three. And the apostles began to debate among themselves which one of them it was going to be who was going to do this. Evidently, they weren't too self-aware. As believers in Christ, we have chosen not to betray our Lord. Instead, we choose to obey our Lord with this celebration. So let's keep on eating this bread. Let's keep on drinking this cup. And let's do both to remember the Lord. Let this celebration encourage our hearts and our minds. And let it fill our hearts and our minds with awe and with reverence, and with gratitude. Let's keep on being transformed by the Lord's life, His death, His burial, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension to God the Father, and His seating at the Majesty's right hand, and by the nourishment we get from His Word, which feeds our souls. So as you enjoy the elements, a song. When we purchase something, we own it. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased us with his blood. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says this, You believers in Christ have been bought with a price. And the price was Christ's blood. Here's June Murphy to sing a song for reflection. You own me. My 
my life belongs to you and you Savior seated on the throne. You are my master and Lord. You make my life worth living for. For my life, you have a plan. Your slave to righteousness, I am, and you. Laying down your life for me In eternity past You made the choice To die upon the tree In those three hours of darkness You paid the ultimate price Then you said it is finished After your sacrifice death so that I could enter in the spiritual life and you own me your resurrection's key to my new life you own me I die Good. You've been practicing. <laughs> oh my God. That was awesome. That was so good. Hey, can somebody put me on? I want to. Nobody can see me up here. Help me out. There you go. Thank you. All right, so uh, I hope you enjoyed the Lord's Supper. I hope you enjoy it, that you are redeemed. I hope you take out into the world this week that you have that marvelous gift along with all the others that you learned about. And we're going to close this lesson with another song. It's always great to close with music. The Bible records the man's and the woman's reaction to their first sin. 
in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. Genesis chapter 3, 6 says this, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it's real shiny, after being tempted by Satan, and that the tree was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, that's the lie that Satan told her. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Genesis 3, 7. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They had been walking around naked in the garden for years, and it did not even faze them. And then suddenly, when they eat from that tree in the middle, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were na- naked. And so they sinned. And to cover their sin, they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. In other words, they came up with their own solution for the sin problem. Genesis 3.8. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God, the Son, Jehovah Elohim, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as he did every day, to come and teach them the word, the man and his wife hid from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What would you do if you were the Lord? You got a friend, tell them what the ground rules are. You tell them they can have anything they want from you, just don't mess with this one thing. It's one thing in the center. And then they go mess with it. They don't listen to you. They agree to do it. And then they betray you. They sin against you. And they do it. What would you do? You know, you're like most human beings. You cut them off, throw them out like trash. What did the Lord do when Adam and Eve sinned and didn't do what he had told them to do and then tried to cover it up and to hide as if somehow hiding was going to cue to him that nothing had happened when he had come into the garden every day and seen them there. What did God do? The human's response to their own sin was hiding. But God's response to their sin, Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Adam, where are you? The Lord went looking for the man when the man had betrayed him. That's the God we have. And how June Murphy puts what the Lord did in song is this, Lord, you ran after me.
opened up salvation's door. Jesus, you are everything I is there among you who if he had a hundred sheep and found that one was lost wouldn't leave the 99 in the pasture and go after the one was lost and when he found the one that was lost would drape it over his shoulder and call all his friends together and say come and rejoice with me for the sheep that I have lost has been found he'd do that wouldn't he he'd run after that sheep wouldn't he well it's the same way in heaven There's so much joy over one unbeliever who becomes a believer in Christ, one sinner who repents. Much more joy than for the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Luke chapter 15, all captured in that beautiful song. A doxology of praise to our Lord because of it. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. In every situation imaginable, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord, who loves us unconditionally. Romans 8.38 And I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons and fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, Romans 8.39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father who is for us, through our union with Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if God the Father did the hard thing by sending his Son to die for us, 
He will also do all the easy things, which is to take care of everything else. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for everything. We thank you because if we even tried to hold in our heads for a moment all the great things that you've done for us, it would overwhelm us so much that it would take our breath away. You are the beginning and you are the ending and you are everything in between. You are amazing. You are wonderful. You are magnificent. There aren't enough words in the English language to express just how joyous we feel being part of your kingdom. Just we ask you to guard our steps and as we go forward this week to live another week in Satan's kingdom, we just pray that you make us make a difference by reflecting you, your unconditional love, your forgiveness, and your grace in every interaction we have. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.